So good morning. It's great to be with you today. Um, we are, uh, we, we've been going through as a church the book of Acts. We're continuing that today. We're continuing it for quite some time into the future. And uh, so thanks for being here this morning and for, uh, for joining us. Thanks for getting up an hour earlier. Um, I, I was thinking last night, our youngest son has been having a hard time sleeping, and last night was one of the better nights of him sleeping. So even though we lost an hour, I feel like I got more sleep. So I don't know if you're in that situation or if you're just guzzling coffee this morning, but wherever you're at, I hope that uh, God's going to speak to us today. We're, um, we, like I said, we're going through the book of Acts. We're calling it Acts of the Spirit because it's the Spirit that's working through the church, just as it was the Spirit that was working through Jesus. And it, it, if, if we're going to be the church of Jesus, which we believe we are because of what God has done for us in Jesus, it's nothing that we do that makes us the church. It's not that we gather on Sundays. It's not that we gather in this type of building. None of those things makes us the church. Jesus makes us his church. He's the one who saves us and cleanses us and sends the Spirit to live in our hearts so that we have God at work, living inside of us, moving us to be his people in everything that we do. And, and so if we're going to be effective as his people, then we need to be people that understand the Spirit's work in us. How is it that the Spirit is moving among us? What is he continuing to do? And how did he work in that day to move his church to be faithful to Jesus? And then what can we learn as his church to do the same thing today? And so that, that's what we've been looking at as we're going through this series in Acts. And uh, it, over the last few weeks, you probably noticed that a whole lot of opposition has come against the church. There was this great like picture and dream of what the church was supposed to be, where everyone's sharing resources and treating each other like family and, and devoting themselves to teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and all these wonderful things. And God is growing and, and making the most out of this situation. And it seems to be sailing along. And then all of a sudden, the last few chapters that we've looked at, it's come under attack after attack after attack. First from outside, uh, and then from within the church, and then from outside again. It seems to be a common theme, as we've talked about before. And, and so today, we're going to see another situation arise up in the midst of the church that has the potential to derail it from this dream that God has for the church, which is for the church to be His representative on earth, empowered by His Spirit to, 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 to show people what Jesus is like and tell them about what He's done for all people. And, and a situation comes up that has the potential to get all of that off track and to keep people from being witnesses about Jesus. And the interesting thing is, you would think that in the opposition that's starting to come against the church, that it would, it would get them off track. They'd start to think about other things besides Jesus and about, besides telling people about him. But they seem more and more committed to this than they were before. And, and I, I mean, it's kind of, it's my prayer for us that we would experience the same thing. That no matter what's going on within the church, we would be, we would be people who are passionate about being his witnesses every single place that we go. But here we see another situation that has the potential of getting that off track. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to be in Acts 6, chapter 6. We're just going to look at the first seven verses. If you're going to follow along in one of the Bibles that we have in the seats, it's uh, on page 760. 
So it starts out this way. Let's see how they respond. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews, that is the Greek-speaking Jews among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews. Those were the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the apostles, gathered together all of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose from among you, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and they will give their, give, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, uh, uh, and Nicholas from, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so you have a situation that arises because they're being obedient to Jesus' command to be witnesses, to make disciples of all people. And the result of that being faithful to Jesus and what he's told them to do is that the church is now growing at a rapid clip. I mean, there, there are now thousands and thousands of people that are involved in this. And, and what's happening is they're beginning to reflect the diversity of the city that they're embedded into. And so the the city is made up of all kinds of different people. And as they're being effective on the mission of Jesus, they're starting to reflect the diversity of the city that they're in. So it's it's no longer just uh, Hebrew-speaking Jews that are making up this community now there are people that are speaking other languages that are starting to make up this community as well. And, and, and here's the thing. There, as we are being effective on Jesus' mission, we should expect and actually long for the church to then be, begin to reflect the diversity of the, the place where we live. So we live in South Jersey. And uh, there's quite a lot of diversity here. There are people who speak different languages. There are people from different ethnic groups. There are people from different backgrounds. And one of the key markers, if we're being effective on Jesus' mission, is that we're going to start to reflect the the diversity of our particular context. I I think about my own neighborhood. you know, there are African Americans on that neighborhood and Italians and Polish people and one, like, weird French guy and, uh, and Hispanic families. And so if we're being effective in our neighborhood, if we're being effective in our region, then, then when we gather as a family, it's going to start to look more and more diverse. It's going to be one of the hallmarks of gospel mission. And so my guess is, And so I think, man, what would it look like and what would it feel like? What would we experience if we started to to reflect that kind of diversity here? We'd have to wrestle with all kinds of questions that we didn't have to wrestle with before. And that's actually what's going on here. Is that as they become more diverse, it raises 
problems that they haven't had to experience before. Because now there's people of different backgrounds and cultures that are all coming together. And so these people have different ideas of what music looks, you know, sounds like and, and what pleases them, what care for each other looks like, what their particular traditions are. And it's forcing them to make decisions and to ask the question, how is it that we're going to be good family to one another given that we're increasing in diversity? And that's what's going on in the church. This particular situation, you have widows that are coming, and and these widows, the church is then called to care for them. They're called to treat them as though they're their own family. That's part of our responsibility as the church. And so they're coming for a daily distribution of food, and a question arises within a couple of groups that are getting this distribution about whether one is being overlooked or not. And now, I I don't, I mean, my particular opinion about this is that it probably wasn't happening intentionally, because if it was happening intentionally, I think the correction would have been a lot stronger than it is here. Um, But it was happening. And so, think about this. This this is the interesting thing. The problem that's arising is because they're being faithful to Jesus. It's not in spite of them being faithful. It's not like they got off track in their faithfulness to Jesus and now suddenly problems are arising. That's the opposition that we saw before. No, they're being faithful to what Jesus said to do, which was to make disciples. And as they're faithful to do it, more and more problems come. See, we're averse to problems, right? I mean, I think most of us, we try to live our lives trying to minimize and and avoid almost every problem that we encounter. Because we think that the the marker of success is going to be a problem-free life. And and in a lot of ways, we bring that that same idea into the church and say, the, the more problems we have, the worse things are. Therefore, we will avoid decisions, we will avoid things which cause us to have more and greater problems. But you have to know that if we're being faithful, problems are going to come. And problems aren't the indication that we're being unfaithful. They may actually be the indication that we are being faithful. So I want us to hear that because, you know, when, when we first started, it was easy for us to say, man, we were... We were a small group of people, and we, it was easy to treat one another like family because there weren't very many of us. And uh, we were working through the problems of becoming a church, and, and we had enough problems on our own. Um, that, and most of those we had created. But, but there, there was a mindset, man, like sometimes you can think, let's not let this thing get too big because if we do, things are going to change. And they're going to get worse than they are now. So let's try to th- keep things small. Let's try to keep things compact. Let's try to, to, to maintain this family thing that we've got going on. And so there were probably people that were thinking just that. But we, we have to know that the, the goal of our church isn't to be a big church, but it is not to remain a small church. The goal of our church is to be faithful to Jesus in everything that we do and to watch him build his church as we make disciples. That is the goal of our church. That is what we're here to do. That is what we're here to get equipped for. That is what I'm calling us to be about seven days a week and not just on Sundays. And so that's going to lead us to tensions. And the tension 
the tension that they're experiencing is the same tension that, that we'll probably experience if we're being faithful, which is this. We are called to both be witnesses of Jesus to our extended community and be people who care for each other as family. You can't sacrifice either of those things. Because if you sacrifice either, either of those things, you're no longer the family of God on his mission. You need to do both. You need to be about both. And that's what the church is facing here. And that's a tension that we're going to experience. And we're going to face. And I think in a lot of ways we're, we're facing now as a body. As we're serious about being on Jesus' mission, I, I, want, I want you to know that I, I, I want us ju- to be just as serious on the question of how are we going to be good family and care for one another. Because if we do one without the other, I believe we're no longer being faithful. So how do we do that? And how do the disciples address that here? Well, in order to know how to balance that, we need to ask some questions. And the first one is this. What's at stake in this decision that they're making? What is it that, that, that's going on here? Because if we don't understand what's at stake, then we'll likely, when it comes to this question of balancing being a witness and being a family, we'll, we'll either make the wrong decision or we'll make it for the wrong reasons. And so let's see what they say. Verse 2, it says, So the, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. And then they didn't, and the result is this in the end, in verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests then became obedient to the faith. I mean, it sounds like, first glance, that they're kind of minimizing this task of waiting on tables, right? Almost like it's beneath them. But here's the thing. The people that they end up selecting to, to manage the distribution of food did you hear who some of those people were? Who, who were they? Stephen. What is, who is Stephen? We're going to see that next week. Yeah, yeah Stephen. He's over there. No. <laughs> yeah, he, he's the first one, and we, we don't think about it this way, but he's the first one who has the honor of, of actually seeing his life sacrificed for the one who sacrificed his life for Stephen. I mean, the way that it's going to paint that story, Luke is, is going to show us he, that it was tremendously honorful for, for, for Stephen to have that ability to do that. Think of Philip. Philip then goes and, and he gets to lead somebody to Christ later on. Um, and and the, these men actually get to, to proclaim the word of God and do incredibly mighty things later on in the story because they were faithful to be servants in this story, it's, I think so often we want the greater glory down the road, and we're not willing to be people who sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources in ways that people don't see today. But that's who these men were. Um, later on, what you're going to see in chapter 11 is that there are a group of disciples that start to even reach more of these Greek-speaking uh, people from a city called Antioch. And so here, they they address an issue to distribute food equally to Greek-speaking people. Later on, there are another group of Greek-speaking people from Antioch, 
Antioch then becomes the fastest growing church in the region. And Antioch then becomes a training environment and many people start to go there to learn how to become gospel servants, including a man named Saul, who then becomes Paul. And two years after he goes to Antioch, God says, I want you to set him aside because he's going to go on some missionary journeys and start some churches around the entire Roman world. All because a few people were faithful to attend to Greek-speaking people here. So let me ask, what's at stake? We dialogue sometimes, and so this is one of those questions. What happens if people don't deal with this issue here? Yeah, right. Because So if they fail to deal with unreconciliation here, what is it that they're saying about the gospel that preaches reconciliation with God? In a sense, they're saying, we don't really believe it. And, and, and so they, they would be claiming, God reconciled us with himself, reconciles us with one another to make one people, not a bunch of different people, one people, one Lord, one Father, one Spirit, working in all together. But the way that we live shows that we don't believe that. Yeah, so it's going to harm their witness, right? It's also going to make their leaders ineffective, right? How would it do that? Yeah, they wouldn't be living what they were saying, sure. But if, if, the, if the leaders themselves said, okay, this problem has come to us, we're going to have to deal with it, and then they get kind of bound up in the task of daily distribution of food, what does that do to them? Yeah, it removes them from their calling, right? Yeah. What else is at stake? So now that they're, they're taken up with doing all kinds of things that they're not particularly gifted for, and, and it keeps them from doing the things that they are gifted for. What else is at stake? What about the leadership? Yeah, so the leaders are saying, we need leaders to lead, and we need everybody to participate, right? Yeah, I mean, I hope what you're hearing is that the, the message of the gospel is at stake. That's what's at stake here. So we can't minimize how much is actually on the line when it comes to the body serving one another in love. If the body does not serve one another in love, then then the entire ministry of the gospel is at stake because Jesus' own name is at stake. Because we're the ones that were called to tell the world about him by the way that we live with one another. And so I, I think this is important because when you ask yourself things like, what can I do to help free up others for the work of the gospel? It has enormous implications for the work that's going on here in our church and here in South Jersey. There was a, a team of people that were up from um, Mobile, Alabama yesterday that were helping in our, our food pantry, and a group that was helping with another church, and, and they asked us if we had anything that they could help with. Originally, we were going to have them help in the garden, but it was too cold out, so we had them help inside, and uh, which they were a little disappointed about because they, they've never seen snow before, a lot of them. So uh, they were looking forward to working out in the snow, and, and, um, and some of them got to go out in the snow afterwards, I'm told, so, so they, they got to scratch that itch. But um, 
So what we had them do was to come and to help in our food pantry, and this is what they did. They rearranged cans according to their type. And you think, wow, big deal, right? <laughs> Janitor's going, it is a big deal. <laughs> but think about it, like if you were a student from, from that far away, you fly all the way up to, to the northeast to help out with churches in the area, you, you might get into your head, and I'm not say, saying this was true of them. In fact, I don't think it was. That, like, we came all this way to do a menial task like this. And it's funny because they were all servant-hearted and servant-minded. They didn't have this mindset in them at all. Um, but when we sat down to have lunch together and we talked through, like, our vision as a church and we got to dialogue a little bit, I said, I don't want you guys to underestimate the work that you're doing today. Because you taking the time to organize things into categories, you may not know this, but when you do that, it actually helps those who serve when we do the distribution not to have to do all that work themselves. And when they don't have to do that work themselves, then we can use less people to organize cans and more people to actually sit with folks who are coming to the pantry and hear their stories. So you've just freed up a group of people to then be relational with those God's sending us so that we can bless them by listening to their stories and not just hand out food. We get to be people who bless them tangibly with gifts and tangibly with our time. That's what's at stake. Yeah. And, and then our church gets to experience the, the grace and the love of the body of Christ coming across the country to serve us so that we can serve others. I mean, so, so I, I share that story just to illustrate, please don't consider any task too menial, too small, and insignificant, because it's not. Anything that we do to serve one another in love has radical implications. I mean, it reverberates in ways that you have no idea when you do the thing that you're doing. So when you serve and play like the cafe and you welcome people in Jesus' name, that has a ripple effect to those that then come and experience your hospitality in their life. Then they take the hospitality that they've experienced and they display that same hospitality in their homes to those who don't yet know Jesus. And where did they learn that from? They learned it from you because you took your time to do that in the cafe. I mean, I mean, I, I could, we could go on and on and on talking about different areas. When you pray, it, 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 you're, you're praying that the Spirit of God would move and release people to do things that maybe you can't even do in places that you can't do it. When, when you, you know, work at the soundboard, it's, it's, it's actually providing... A, a resource for us to, to proclaim the gospel and to, uh, to, to sing with everything that's within us to this Jesus who's worthy of our entire lives. I mean, I can't overestimate, I, I can't overstate how important these things are. And so we don't just need to be people who serve to, to, because the organization or the church needs us to, because we have a building that demands it, we need people to be servants to, 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 to free up other people then to serve in ways that they're called to do so that South Jersey itself would be saturated with the good news of who Jesus is. 
And I know that there are many of these gifts just even within our own church body that, that need to be used and, 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 and done even more. And there, there are ones that are, are out there that need to be increased. There are people I know among us that, are, that we need to raise up as other preachers and teachers. And there are people that are good at pastoral care that need to be giving those gifts for the sake of the body. And people who are naturally devoting themselves to prayer. And people who have the gift of administration that can help us organize and, and move out on mission in ways that are effective. So we need to know what's at stake. Secondly, we need to ask this. How do they address the problem? Now, they, they, they address it by appointing people. The, the, if you were to just transliterate the word, it's deacons in English. But that, that word deacon means servant. And so these are people that they're raising up to be lead servants. They're, they're to be the ones that show other people what it looks like to be a servant. They're to lead by example. But let's, let's look at a little bit deeper at it. So the 12, this is verse 2, gathered the people together. Now it says they gathered all the who? The disciples together. I don't know if you realize this. This is the first time that word is used in the book of Acts. It's going to be used 28 other times. So I don't want you to miss this, though. Who are the disciples at this point? All. Why is it important that that word is used for the entire church? Everyone's included, everyone's involved, everyone's in the game. There's no, like, sideline participants in the church. They gathered all of the disciples together, and if you're a disciple, you're in the game of making disciples. And so they gather them together, and they give this responsibility back to the church because everyone's involved. So, And they said this, It wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our full attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so they, they address it immediately, right? A, a problem, an issue comes up in their midst, and they, they're direct and they're immediate about it. And so they're saying people are getting neglected, and our primary calling is to devote ourselves to spreading the gospel, but it still needs to be addressed. Therefore, we're going to help meet it head on. So I just want to encourage you, whatever is broken in your life, wherever an area is that needs addressing, maybe it might be in your marriage or in your parenting, it might be a financial thing, please stop hoping that somebody else is going to come along and take care of the issue for you. Take leadership and address whatever it is that's happening. The reason that you're aware of it is because God put you in a position to deal with it. And, and I think, man, so, so often we want to be the whistleblowers of life and just identify all the problems and issues and be critics of those things without being willing participants to address the problems ourselves. And we have no intention of saying, God, how are you calling me to fix the solution, fix this problem? How are you moving me to be the solution to this thing? This isn't just a family issue. This is a, this is a church issue. And we need, we need people that are going to be willing to, to participate and address things immediately and directly and not just wait for somebody else to do it. 
one of the things um, that came to me recently um, was I, I had, uh, I don't know if they're here this morning, but Joe and Ann Boyle um, said, I'd really love to get together with you because there's just something that's been going on in, in our heart, and we feel like God's prompting us, and we'd love to get together with you and talk about it. And so we scheduled a time to do that, and, uh, and, and they said, we just really feel burdened that as a church, we need to be more serious about prayer. We just, I, I, and we don't know what that looks like and what that means, and, and we're not necessarily suggesting like we develop a prayer team or a prayer gathering or anything like that. We just want to bring the need before you. And, and it wasn't just that they brought the need. The second half of that was, and we're willing to do anything possible to help it happen. I just so appreciated that because, one, they listened to the Spirit. Two, they responded immediately. And three, they said, we're willing to be involved in helping it happen, whatever that looks like. And so we don't need to be the ones leading it. We're not calling us. Like, we're, we're not saying we, we want a position or anything like that. We're just saying we want to help and we want to serve. I thought, man, what a, what a great way to see a need and to respond in faith and in love and humility to the need. Secondly, they they just they addressed it immediately and directly, but they also addressed the problem with the word and with prayer. So it says we're we're going to turn this responsibility over to them so that we can give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so ask yourselves these questions. What is it in my life or in my family? or in our church that's preventing us from being devoted to prayer and being devoted to God's Word. And then ask yourselves, what is it in those areas that I'm not being devoted to prayer and to the Word? Another way to ask that question would be, what's in the way, and what am I trying to do in my own strength? See, the leaders here, they understood that the two most important things that God has charged them with was looking to God for power in prayer and looking to God's word so that they would hear correctly from him. And the reason is because they needed to be depending on God to continue to work, and they needed him to tell them how to proceed. And one of the most important things that I can be devoted to as a leader is prayer. But to, just to be honest with you, I'm a task guy. I like to see things done, and I like to check boxes off of my schedule. And, and every time I devote certain amounts of time to prayer instead of tasks, less boxes get checked. Have you noticed that in your own life? See, my tendency is to spend my time doing those tasks rather than to pray. And I think the reason is because I believe that it's really up to me and not up to God. The more I devote to the tasks, the more I'm in control of my schedule, the more I'm able to exercise influence on it, the less time I spend doing all those things and the more time praying, the more I'm actually stating in faith, God, it's actually up to you and I'm releasing these things to you. And yet as a leader, that's exactly what I'm called to do. I'm called to spend my time doing less and praying more, which to me seems completely backwards. And yet that's where the power comes from in this community. And these leaders know it. 
that prayer is absolutely necessary because they realize that it's God that's been doing everything up until now. And so they're going, how in the world could we stop looking to him to continue to do what he's been doing and to trust in him rather than ourselves? And this is coming from, I mean, think about who these men are now. They've now led thousands of people to Jesus. They've spoken in front of thousands. They've, they've rebuked the authorities. And, and they've, they've taken a beating and come out the other side. I mean, if, if anyone's going to start to have pride over their own accomplishments, it would be these guys. And yet those things have led them to be more prayerful and less dependent on themselves. Is that true in your life? See, prayer is the evidence that you believe that God is more powerful than you and that you need Him to work, not just you. So how is that going? How much of your life are you trying to figure out on your own strength? I was talking with somebody this week who is, is in an incredibly rough patch right now and dealing with something that is, has been going on for a very long time, and there's been no movement, no solution going on to the situation. And so we talked about it for a while, and finally I said, well, how prayerful have you been about this? And he kind of sat back in his chair, and he goes, you know what? I've never even thought about praying. I said, okay, time out. We're not going to talk about this anymore. We're going to pray right now. And we're going to continue to pray. And we're going to pray every week together that God does something here. Because what you've been seeing the fruit of trying to change the situation yourself for years. How's it working out? Well, not great. Okay, let's look to someone else now to do something that obviously you and I have no ability to do. Because we can't even change ourselves, let alone change somebody else. We need him to do the work. And so now we're going to ask him to do the work. How often do we do that? Group leaders, how, how often are you praying for the people that God has put under your care? That is a major task of leading a group here. And we need to be diligent in making sure that we're people that do that often. Secondly, they devoted themselves to God's word. One of the key qualifications of being an elder or a leader in the church is the ability to teach. And, and most people think the ability to teach is to do exactly what I'm doing up here right now. And that's not the case because most of the teaching that was going on in this church was, being, was, was going on from house to house to house. And so leaders were the ones that had the ability to train others to be obedient to Jesus in their whole lives. They were the ones that were living out the commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go and make disciples, teach them to obey everything that I've taught you to do. And so leaders are people that can apply the gospel to somebody's life and help them to live out a life that's obedient to Jesus. That's a qualification of being a leader. And so that's what these leaders were doing. They were bringing the word of God to bear on people's problems. And they were living lives that were, were, were training others up to do the same things that they were doing. That was their primary calling and responsibility. And so they knew that if they gave themselves over to this job of distributing food, 
that it would keep them from their primary calling to teach and to train the church to be the body, to be able to minister to one another. So let, let me ask this, just as a take the temperature in the room. What is it that you think my primary calling is here at our church? Okay, to lead. What's the shape of that leadership then, given everything that we've just talked about? Is equipping. Okay, good. What else? Teaching. So, so my primary charge is to lead the vision of the church, which requires prayer, because you can't lead in vision if it's not Jesus' vision of the church, and to equip the church for works of ministry, which then requires the word of God. Do you see both of those things? Primary calling is to lead the vision through prayer, lead in the equipping of the ministry through God's word. The reason that I bring this up is because um, in our culture, it's very common to think that the pastor is the one to be doing all the ministry, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the Spirit's a big part of it, right? Listening to the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit. But then submitting to the Spirit so that I would be somebody who is equipping the body to do the works of ministry. The reason I bring this up is because if there's an understanding that, that Jay is to be the sole teacher or the sole shepherd or the sole organizer of the church, then, then there's a misunderstanding of what the word says a leader is given to the church for. Leaders are given to the church to equip as many as possible to then be able to teach and to shepherd and to organize so that the body of Jesus is doing the ministry of Jesus to one another not just its leaders. One of the ways I've been convicted of that recently is, is to equip other people to preach and to teach, and that's why I've been investing in Aaron to do just that. Because there's been a recognition that he has some gifts in that area that God wants to use for the sake of our body. And so I, I would be, to, to, to Carol's point, quenching the spirit if I just said, it needs to be me up here every week. No, the reason that I'm given is then to equip other people in areas that I'm strong in so that we would have multiple people who are able to teach. And that way, whatever God calls us to in terms of the vision of the church, we'd actually be ready to move out in it rather than not being ready because we don't have the people capable of doing it. So if God calls us to plant another church out of ours, then we might be ready if we've done the work of equipping. Do you see how this is part of the process? It's necessary for the body to function as it should because we're all called to be gospel witnesses and we're all called to use the gifts that God's given us for the good of others. And, and the interesting thing about the situation is that when they're faced with this problem, what do they do? So oftentimes when a problem comes up in the church, it's brought to the attention of the leaders and the expectation is that the leaders are going to be the one to do the work to address it. What, is, what happens here? It's a really unique kind of combination. Yeah, they went to the body, right? What were you going to say, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, so they, just, they, they don't just say, this is, this is our problem. They say, this is our problem. 
Because it's a family issue. Yeah. So the, the, the body is the one who knows the people, and so they have the, the, the job of then discerning who's the best one to be in the position to actually carry out what the apostles are saying that we should do. Because they've known it. And guess what? The people that they chose to be lead servants, they were probably known for serving in small things and in small ways. And people would have seen it and understood it and said, you know what? This guy or this woman is doing this already. They're already a servant, and no one's giving them any accolades, any, you know, I mean, they're just doing it because they love one another. And then there's a recognition within the body to go, you know what, what they're doing, that they could lead other people in doing exactly what they're doing because they get to model it to those that need to see good leadership, good servanthood, right? But it starts with this understanding that they're going to address this together as a family. One of the things I, you know, I hope to do as a parent is to invite our children into, the, into the solving the issues in our household. So it's not just mom and dad that are doing all the work, but there's a responsibility to being part of our family that includes them in, in what we're doing. And so the, the other night when we had dinner and afterwards, you know, uh, Mandy goes to, to feed Ethan, and then I'm downstairs with Caleb. And usually I clean up, and Caleb goes and plays. And so I thought, let's try something different. This is going to be a little social experiment in our house, and we'll see how it goes. So I said, Caleb, do you want to help Daddy um, clean up the dishes? And he goes, no, thank you. I said, well, then who's going to do it? Daddy's going to do it. Well, then what's Caleb going to do? I'm going to play trains. There's like no one, like, just categorically like, I play trains, you clean up. Like, that's how it works, you know? I'm like, well, what if, I mean, he's not to this level yet, but I'm, I want to be like, well, what if Daddy just didn't clean up the dishes? And, it, you know, obviously he, he's not thinking in the terms of ramifications yet, but I hope someday for our children to go, yeah, what would happen in our house? We all better take responsibility of what's going on here because we're all involved. We all have charge to care for the family together. It's not just mom and dad's job. It's, it's our job. Mom and dad are to help lead us in it, but they're not to do all the work for us. See, it should be the same within the church. We shouldn't just be people who walk around and go see a need and go, man, I can't wait for mom and dad to take care of that one. Boy, somebody should really, you know, get on this issue. There's a, there's a stain in the carpet. Boy, I, so, I hope somebody's got the time to clean that up this week, right? Or whatever the case might be. What if we were people that saw the needs and said, you know what, I'm going to be the one to take responsibility. I'm going to be the one to, to learn how to be a servant and to give my time and energy to meet that particular need because I see it as a need within our body. And since I'm a family member, I'm a disciple, as much as everyone else is a family member and a disciple, therefore, I'm going to be the one to help out. See, the leaders look for people that are known 
to do this kind of thing. That's, and the, the body has already identified people that are doing this. And, and they, they find seven people who are doing it really well because they know them and they see their lives at work. And so they'd have confidence that the people that they're going to put forward are the people that are going to serve in a way that's already caring for people. Actually, they actually put forward people that are full of the Spirit. How would you know if somebody's full of the Spirit? Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. So you would see in their lives love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things would be evident in their life because their lives emanate the fact that the Spirit of God is working through them and in them. And it wouldn't be something that they're trying to conjure up on their own to make people think that they're better than they are. It's actually God working in them. And so it's my prayer as a church that we would see all kinds of people that say, we're going to be responsible for our family and we're going to be people who look to the Spirit and try to be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Because when a body has those things going on, it's a magnificent thing to behold. It's truly, truly amazing. Because what's happening in them is so radically different from the way that everybody else lives. And so I would love to see more and more of us move into leadership in our church. And we need you. We need servants of all types. But I want to encourage you with this. Please start by being a servant in whatever it is that God is, is giving you eyes to see within our body. Whatever that area is, please be faithful with the little thing. Just as those college students were faithful with the little thing yesterday, please be people who are faithful in the little things. Because God will teach you about being a servant in such a way that that you might actually be used for far greater things down the road. How do you think that happens? Let me just ask that. How do you think that servanthood prepares all of us to be effective gospel leaders? Why servants? Yeah. Yeah, that's who Jesus is, right? So we actually model his life when we're serving. So Jesus, he didn't come to be be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Yeah, here's here's what I found to be true. Anytime you put yourself out there to be a servant, people will treat you like a servant. (laughs) And they will abuse your service, and they will take advantage of your servanthood, and they will not appreciate you for the time that you've given. I mean, Has this happened to anybody? Please raise your hand if it has. Yeah. And then they'll say how much they wish you were even more of a servant than you were. And you're going, what the heck? You know, I'm giving my time here. And see, what that's doing is it's actually showing you why it is that you're serving. Are you serving to get the accolades and the recognition and the encouragement of people? Because if so, your service will either be temporary or begrudgingly. Or are you serving because God so served you that you can't help but serve others in love? And no matter what people's response is to your serving, you continue to serve. Because, not because 
you're looking for the love of people, but because you've received the love of God in more measure than you could ever give out, and therefore you can be a servant. See, that, that's what it trains you to do over time when you're a servant. You actually grow in your dependency of God. You grow in your ability to listen to the Spirit. You grow in, in, in looking to Him to give you what you need rather than looking to other people. And that's why the thing that's necessary, if we're going to be to reflect anything of what we're seeing here and to be a, a people that both are witnesses of Jesus and caring family for one another by the way that we serve each other, we're going to need people who are gripped by the gospel. We're going to have to be people who are gripped by the gospel. Otherwise, we're going to be gripped by all kinds of other things, and those things are going to lead us to not wanting to lay our lives down. The only way we... we rightly lay our lives down for one another as family as if we believe with everything that's within us that we have one who laid his life down for us. And that's what Paul reminds the church of in Philippians 2, his famous passage where he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being, in, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And each of you look to, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he's going, have you received anything from Jesus? Have you been united to him in spite of your sin? Did he who, who knew your sin still take the punishment for you so that you'd be united with Christ forever and ever and ever? Have you been comforted by his love for you, this great love of a father who stopped at nothing to pursue you with that love in spite of all the ways that you've rejected him? Have you experienced his compassion and his tenderness for you, how he treats you as little children and welcomes you to himself? If you have any of that, then why wouldn't you have the mind of Jesus also? Jesus, who became a man and who will be a man forever to intercede for you. He became nothing for you. The King of glory becoming humiliated to make you accepted and welcomed into his family. God did all of this for you so that in worship of this Jesus, you would be a servant to the least of these among us. Because when you're serving anyone, you're serving Jesus himself. 
See, that's where I think we get off track. We, we, we serve people because we see them for who they are rather than them for Jesus. So if, if we see the face of Jesus in everyone that we serve, then we'll serve them as Jesus deserves, not as others deserve. Which means that we're going to serve them with our time, and we're going to serve them in patience, and we're going to serve them over the long term and not just in the immediate. Because those are all the ways that Jesus has served us. So we would go, how could I withhold anything from Jesus? He's given me everything that I have. I would give him everything that I have because I love him so much because he loved me. Now take that same love and apply it to one another. And now you've got the kind of service that you see in the church. Are you gripped by the gospel? Are you reminded of his love for you? Are you enamored with Jesus' service of you? And has it gripped your life so much that you're willing to say, anything that you want me to do, Jesus, I'm yours. I'll be your servant. See, if we're all doing that, then I think the, 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 the distinction, the thing that will make our church unique is that we won't be a church of volunteers anymore. I think so often, like when I think of, of getting involved in the church, that the, the church goes, can we have any volunteers? Anybody want to volunteer? In, in Jesus' family, there's no such thing as a volunteer. There are only servants. There are people who believe that they're servants and live like servants, and there are those that don't. Please, family, I'm calling us to live like servants. Will we do this out of our great love for him? Will we be proactive in the ways that we love each other? I hope the answer is yes. So let's ask him that it would be so and that we would actually live out what it is that we're asking. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending us your son. Thank you that in him we see a picture of what it looks like to lay a life down for the good of those that you love. And thank you that it's in that love that we can lay our lives down for one another. And I think about this even as our own children come back into the room. And my prayer for us, God, is that we would model and demonstrate for them this kind of laying of our lives down so that they would know that Jesus is real and true and good and that everything that he did to sacrifice himself, to pay for our sins and to, to rise again and send the Spirit into our lives to be different people, that they would go, I believe all of that is true because I've seen my mom and my dad and, and my extended family of, of aunts and uncles here among the church doing that very thing for one another. I pray, God, that we would see a generation raise up that would go I'm committed to Jesus and I love him because I've seen him work in the previous generation God may we be the ones that model that for them and help us to love the gospel so that we would be able to do that right we ask for the glory of Jesus